To me, the definition of strength is standing up for what you believe in, regardless of the consequences or how others may judge you. Do you ever feel like you are the only one living a life that is too hard to handle? Welcome to the In Raw Life podcast, where we're going to talk about real life in its raw form. Each week, we'll dive into the stuff that nobody really likes to talk about because it's uncomfortable, painful, a little awkward, or just weird. We want to normalize all of that and help you realize that you can live out your dream even in life's messiness. I'm Sierra. And I'm Jessica. And we're living our dream lives in real life, in raw life. Welcome back to another episode of the In Raw Life podcast. We have a special guest, but I'm not going to tell you who it is yet because first I wanted to say, hey, welcome. You're here. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you keep coming back. And if you feel so inclined with coming back over and over, subscribe so that you know when we have new episodes. Hit the subscribe. While you're at it, why not rate and send a review? We would love to get a review from you so we can keep doing what we're doing. And not to mention, when you do that, it tells the people of the podcast land that our podcast is actually pretty freaking cool and that they should keep recommending it to others. So help us to grow by just subscribing and hitting, boop, a little five star if you are so inclined. Okay, now for our special guest. I am so excited to interview her. You know her. You love her. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jessica! Hi! It's so nice to be here. Welcome to the show, Jessica. I can't believe we finally got you on. Oh my gosh, I know my schedule. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so for those of you who are brand new, Jessica is the other co-host of the In Raw Life podcast, so she's on every episode, but it's exciting because I get to interview her about some pretty vulnerable stuff today, so that's why I wanted to set it up and tease you as I did. But before we get into all of that, um, well, just I guess to give you a heads up of what's coming, Jessica is an Enneagram Type 2. And the type twos desire to be loved and they fear not being lovable or being unworthy of love. And we are going to dive into that. It's going to be awesome. But first, Jessica, what is your rawality check? Oh, my rawality check. So I was thinking about this yesterday because I knew we were recording today. I was like, I feel bad that like I don't have... I want to make sure that I really am sharing and being vulnerable and not like sometimes letting all the excitement and happiness take over and be like, oh, I really don't know what to share like I did last time. Um, So it's kind of hard to like dig down deep and as a two to understand like what needs may not be being met to share what's raw and vulnerable, I guess. Like being self-aware of what needs aren't being met? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, not using that as like a crutch or anything, but just, I think that maybe that kind of clouds understanding what could be shared even. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think, let's see. So this past, so Sierra is currently, but who knows, she might already be moved by now. 
she's currently in the middle of moving, which we are working on this huge, exciting project, and we both were like super pumped and going, and we thought it was going to be already completely out by now. So then like, it's taken me, it's hard on me to be like, oh wait, well like, what else can I do? What I just like, I want to take on more responsibility because I know that Sierra's doing her thing, and she's got other life stuff going on. What can I do to like keep this going? But I don't really... No, and some of the things I just are not my wheelhouse and they're Sierra's or like I don't want to make decisions without her. So it's like it's been hard. And then like I know that I withdraw a little bit too, like if it's been long enough. So it's – that's my reality is figuring out how to, one, share what I'm thinking and feeling. Two, know that I can take on the responsibility or just kind of do things. And also three, just know that it's continuing to be okay and we got this. Yes. That, that's my reality check. Um, so A, we totally got this. B, keep telling me if you feel like we don't so we can talk through it. <laughs> and C, we totally got this. Amen. Um, <laughs> but seriously, we're gonna, I'm coming to the end of my crazy, so hopefully things will, I actually feel like we've already launched it. I know. And yeah. The second that somebody says, heck yes, I'm in, we're done and we send it to them. So yeah. we've pretty much are where we want it to be as of yesterday, which was in my – well, like, I think it was both of our goals to be launched as of January 11th. Oh, yeah, it was. Yesterday was January yeah. 11th. And we finalized like, okay, if somebody pushes – like purchase today it's or it. says, we're yes, I want, I'm interested, we'll make it happen. So yeah. we, we hit our deadline. Yeah, yeah. we and did. And yeah. Um, okay, um, I have so. to bring up another thing. Our, we are way on our way to our goal that we made in September of how many listener, regular listeners we wanted. Yes. We're more than halfway there. So people out there, just like Sierra said, share, share, share. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what's your reality check today, Sierra? Okay, so my reality check is that my house is on the market and I want to die. <laughs> it's fine. It's cool. No, no worries. Everything is fine. <laughs> so as an Enneagram type 7, I tend to be very optimistic constantly and try to keep a peppy attitude. But this morning, I all I wanted to do was cry and call you and tell you that I didn't want to record today. <laughs> but I'm persevering. So, okay, our house went on the market last Wednesday. It's now Tuesday, so that's been like a week. Um, getting ready to put it on the market was hell. It was just so exhausting trying to get everything cleaned. And as since we're super Enneagram today, as uh, a seven, I go to a type one in stress, which is the perfectionist. So I became very perfectionistic, so much so that the cleaning lady, the realtor, and my husband begged me to stop making things perfect. <laughs> It was, um, yeah, it was a little crazy. But now that it's on the market, it's just weird. It's a really hot market, so we thought it would be sold by now. But I think our realtor, asked, she asked to up the price right before we did it, and I think it's priced too high, so it's not selling. Um, which, again, it's only been a week, so I know, like, most – usually the houses don't sell in a week, but right now in our area, they do, and I was looking mm -hmm. forward to that so that I could get back to, like, normal living and not feel like I had to live in a mausoleum, Yeah, which is how I feel because everything's perfected. I have certain things that are 
As soon as we have a showing, I have to bring it down because either the babies or the cats will destroy it if it's out normally. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just constantly trying to keep things ready to stage at a moment's notice and trying to keep things clean and feeling like I can't even – like if the kids make a mess, I'm stressed, whereas normally yeah. I don't really care. Like I know we'll clean it up. I'm not worried. But now it's like, oh, more stuff to clean. Yeah. Um. Luckily, Arrow has a recent obsession with the handheld vacuum, so that's yeah, really perfect timing. Um, but this morning or last night, I spent the night at my mom's house because we were over there celebrating my stepdad's birthday, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna stay the night here. I'll get to bed early, which makes means I can get up early, which means I can try to get some hours in because I didn't work hardly at all last week because of the stress of getting the house ready. And so I'm like, this will be perfect, and I'll just, you know, I'll wake up early and get it all done, and then I don't have to make the house messy for breakfast. I'll just take Arrow to school, and one less mess to worry about. Well, I woke up at 4, got out of bed at 4.30, which is an hour ahead of my normal schedule, was super proud of myself, got to work by 5, like, did my devotion at 4.30, got to work by 5, even did my gratitude. I'm like, yes, I remembered my gratitude, I'm feeling good. And at 5.30, my husband called. He did not spend the night. He spent the night at home. Um, And his car wasn't working, and I had the keys to the spare car. Mm -hmm. So I had to get – at 5.30 in the morning, I had to pack up all the stuff, put the kids in the car, and Um. make it here by like 6. So what would have been two full hours of solid work ended up being 23 minutes. And I just felt so dejected because I feel like we're in this huge limbo And everything is up in the air and I'm just exhausted. And, of course, like that's all my thoughts were. And I felt bad because my husband wasn't going to go back to work, but he is. And I feel like I need to be strong for him. But he just gave me a hug and he's like, you don't have to be strong for me. I'm going to be okay, which is another thing. I don't want him to be at work because of all the stuff that was going on. So I'm Mm -hmm. worried about him every day he leaves. But he hugged me. He said, I promise you I wouldn't be there if I wasn't okay. And he said, oh, he said, like, so usually in the at 6 o'clock in the morning, I text him my gratitude, like three things I'm grateful for to try to encourage Aww. him to text me back three things he's grateful for. Mm-hmm. And he usually doesn't do it, but every now and then he does. Well, today I didn't text him anything I was grateful for because I was in uh-huh. the middle of just feeling sorry for myself. Spiral. And he yeah. texted me. That he was grateful that we have an extra car. So, like, that in itself is a blessing. And he's grateful. Oh, there was something else. I don't remember. But it was just sweet. Like, he knew I was sad and feeling bad and whatever. Mm. And he texted me. Oh, maybe that. Oh, he was grateful that he got to see Arrow this morning before he went to work. So he was looking at the bright side. He was good job, Jay. Into his wing seven of being optimistic <laughs> instead of his normal pessimistic self. Aww, yeah, I love it. And it was um, refreshing. And then I uh, I put on my essential oils and switched my attitude around, and then like played with Arrow for a while. And I, I'm doing better now. But at first, I was just like, oh. <laughs> I hate it. I hate having my house on the market. It feels exposed. Like, I feel like selling your house is the equivalent of going to the gynecologist. Just <laughs> everything is open and vulnerable. <laughs> Nothing to hide here. Oh, I feel like it's almost worse. Yeah. So, ugh. Because I don't know. Once you go to the gynecologist enough times, it's just like, well, oh, this, this is what they do. This is routine. This is what happens. And it's done. 
So you're saying if I sell my house yearly, then I'll just be used to it. <laughs> no, don't do that. That's a terrible Probably financial never. idea. <laughs> Maybe, yes. I think. I don't know. Stress-wise, um, the great. seven in you sound that sounds great. Probably, no. Yes, new house no. every year. It does sound. There's a little bit of fun. That it sounds like a tiny bit of fun. Or just go RV it. Anything. It sounds like a lot of stress, and I would not do it. Maybe buy a new house every year, but not sell a new house every year. What is this project that Jessica and I are so excited about? Well, let me tell you. It's called Life in Balance, and. It can sincerely transform your life. Here's what you get. You get to work one-on-one with Jessica and I for 30 days. In that time, we will transform your schedule to give you at least 30 extra minutes to your day. At least. Jessica has helped me get 60 in my day. On top of that, we will help you craft a beautiful morning routine so you can develop a habit of gratitude affirmations, and meditation. If meditation sounds scary for you, don't worry. We've got you covered. I give you a personal guided meditation that relates to your affirmation of the day, and we provide you the gratitude list so you just keep building and growing this habit of fueling your mind in the way that it needs to be fueled. And of course, when you start out your day with that healthy mindset and then approach your day with a schedule that works for you, you'll find time in your day to do what you actually want to do guilt-free. It's that amazing and it's sincerely that simple. There's a lot more to it, including a customized day planner, accountability on Facebook. We know you're going to love it all. Do us a favor, go to the show notes and click Life in Balance to check it out. We are currently running a promo for our beta test version of it, so you can get it at $80 off with the promo code BETA from now until February 15th. So jump on over there, get $80 off. It's not going to be this low again. It's time to finally prioritize spending your time wisely so that you can enjoy this moment and live the life you were born to live. Get over there now, use promo code BETA, and get your life in balance. All right, let's get into it. (laughs) Let's get to our interview. So the preface, like Sierra said, um, a type two, and our fear and desire, you know, to be loved, and our fear is that we're not worthy of love or of being unloved. So the premise that of this, we came up with this back when we came up with just a whole bunch of topics in general for the podcast. Sierra came up with mm-hmm. exploring each of our Enneagram fears, and we felt like this would be perfect, one, because it's the week before Valentine's Day. So if you're single or you're just not in a good relationship, or even if you're in a good relationship but like things are funky right now. Sometimes, those, especially around Valentine's Day, these feelings come up. Um, so we thought it would be cool to explore it right now. And Sierra, we were talking about what to do. And I said, you know, I think it would be cool if you kind of – I don't think I used the word interview, but like ask me – or maybe I did. Like ask me questions. She's like, well, can you send me some questions? And I tried looking it up, and I've been listening to a lot of like really cool Enneagram podcasts and stuff lately. And I've heard some other twos talk, which is really fun and insightful. I was like, you know, honestly, as a two, we want, 
we are so good at, and or we think we're so good at knowing others and filling others' needs. But one of our real desires is to be known and for other people to want to know us. But we're not good at voicing that. And I was like, you know, I don't even know what questions to ask, but I think it would be good for you to come up with what you just want to know about how my mind or two's minds might work about this subject. So Mm -hmm. that is where we're going. Yeah. So also, I think we're just to touch before we really dive into it on the fears of different Enneagrams. So we kind of tapped into my fear, which the seven's fear is the fear of pain. We didn't specifically tap into it, but the grief episode was kind of inspired Mm. by that thought. So if you are a seven and you're interested in learning more about how to overcome (laughs) fear of pain slash grief, go check out that episode. And if you love the Enneagram and you would love to be interviewed based on your fear um, and your number and you're not a seven or a two, then hey, we've got the other seven spots open. So uh, (laughs) reach out and let us know because we – We are passionate about the Enneagram simply because we believe that it helps to understand other people better Mm -hmm. um, and it gives you a sense of compassion towards getting to to know where people are coming from. Yeah. So that's our reason for – And the fear is like I – you know, my brother's not quite a believer in this kind of stuff um, because he's very, very (laughs) analytical. Uh, And when I told him about – well, one, when I, like, brought up the Enneagram and he did take the test for me just because he did it for me because he loves me. Um, And I said, you know, my my type's fear is being unloved. He's like, well, that's everybody's. I'm like, yeah, but this is like – of course, all the fears can relate to any person. Like, we all have these different fears. But this is what, like, kind of drives or motivates everything, every, like, thought and decision I might have to help people understand that part of it. And if you don't know what your Enneagram number is and you're like, what the heck are you even talking about? Perhaps you still like the fear of being unloved might be something that you relate to no matter what number you are. Um, So we're going to really explore how to overcome the fear of being unloved. Mm -hmm. I have some great takeaways for you, Jessica. I hope you're excited. Um, But in general, like if you if you struggle with the fear of feeling unloved or unlovable, then um, yeah, this episode should be helpful. Okay, I'm ready. So, okay, first of all, I want to take it back to your childhood. <laughs> so, um, like after after doing research on twos, which I have a lot of twos in my life, so I tend to always look at the things that are said about the twos. So one thing that's said is that at some point in your childhood, you were taught, or not necessarily in your childhood, but some point in your life, mm-hmm. you were taught that love is earned. Mm-hmm. Can you think of a moment in your life where you felt like you had to earn love from someone else? So that's what's always been kind of like a weird disconnect for me is because I'm, I and even before I learned about the Enneagram, I was like, why – So I have certain ways of thinking and feeling when I had, like, I didn't have a messed up childhood. Like, my parents divorced when I was eight, but that, I don't think that that really shaped and formed me as much as it does some other people. Um, And it, I don't think it has anything to do with my, any, like, my type, which I also learned is that usually by the time that we're five, it's kind, that our type has kind of formed within us. Um, But listening to other twos and other Enneagram stuff, I realized 
that one. So I'm a second child out of two. And my brother is incredibly smart. And my parents were amazing. They did not do this intentionally, but like he was so smart. And my parents, like my family in general has very intelligent conversations. And now as an adult, I realize I am quite intelligent. But when you have so much of that around you, you feel like you might not be on that level and you're constantly either trying to prove that you're worthy of being in the conversation mm-hmm. or you're quiet because you have nothing to say or add to it. Um, so I think that that was a little bit of it because I I was either constantly trying to prove like, hey, like I know what we're talking about or, oh, wait, I don't. like, And I felt – I didn't feel stupid, but I didn't think that I was a bright kid. Like I just thought I was some average mm-hmm. kid because – I was surrounded by so much brightness. And it's not that my parents did like said you have to do better or you need to be like your brother. It was just kind of a I don't know, I guess like just a self like actualization or something. So that was one. And then also I was always told that I was such an easy kid. Like I was easy. I didn't put up fights a lot. I didn't get into trouble. I I didn't ask for anything. Like I even remember my 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 nanny would tell me like, she would, like, get me, like, a little present or give me $5 or something. She's like, you just never ask for anything. So, like, it's easy to give to you in, like, you know, mm-hmm. randomly. But it's because I didn't ask for anything. I don't know if I – I don't know how I learned that. But I just knew that I was the easy one. So then I kind of had to keep being the easygoing child and the easy one. I guess I'm sure in my mind somewhere that connected to, oh, that earns me love because I'm easy. So I'm easy yes. to love. So those two things came up literally just in like the past couple of days trying to figure that out. I think it's really interesting how we get put into these boxes as kids mm-hmm. based on things that are told to us. And I've I realized this a while ago after talking to one of my friends who was identified as a perfectionist. So people would say like, why are you such a perfectionist? Or why does everything always have to be perfect? And so in her mind, she's not a one, by the way. Mm -hmm. The one is the perfectionist. She's a five, which I think be like to know things well, or uh, I'm messing that up. But anyway, she, she said like it took her a long time to overcome this desire to not be perfect because people kept drilling it in her head that she's a perfectionist. So she's like, mm-hmm. okay, I have to be perfect. And I think like now whenever the, that thought comes to her head, she's like, I rebuke the lie that I am a perfectionist. That's what she says to overcome it. Mm. Um, so I like hearing what you just said, I hear there's two things that I hear. One, the yes that you were put into this box of like you are the easy one, which I I think about all the time with Gray because I always tell him like, oh, you're such a handful. Oh, you're you're gonna be a wrecking ball, aren't you? Like uh-huh. I feel like I'm projecting it onto him. I know, already. but it's hard. I mean, one that's like in society, like you do things like that, and then two, yeah. I mean, it's what he's doing. So you're like, we don't mean it as a bad thing. It's just right. But it's yeah. labeling and then they start to think that and, oh, it's so interesting. Like yeah. in, in Montessori, they specifically don't tell children that they're good mm-hmm. so that they don't try to achieve goodness, mm-hmm. that they just feel loved and valued, not yeah. for how good they are, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. But anyway, the second thing that I heard from that is the fact that even still the way that you worded it, you said like, oh, it was self-actualization that, you know – I just was around really bright people. You still didn't give yourself credit for being a bright person. And I found that really fascinating because in that situation, you were surrounded by 
your very educated father, who was an adult, and your older brother. So, like, yes, he's smart, but he also has two, three years on you? Yeah. How? He's almost four years older. Yeah. Almost four? Is that yeah. what you said? And he was like, I mean, they call it, like, when he was three, they're like, oh, he's like a little 30-year-old. So you're five sitting with a nine-year-old who has the nine – like the intelligence of a nine-year-old. I mean that's even – or look at – that's like Emmeline versus Arrow right now. I would yeah. never compare their intelligence because they're yeah. in such different places. But you as that little kid thought, wow, my brother's so smart. I'll never be like that even mm-hmm. though you didn't understand. Your brain just hasn't developed there yet. Yeah. And so and my I parents, an my parents never said anything like that. Right. So that's why it was so, so hard for like, me to, like, get, like, where did that come from? Like, it didn't come from someone else telling me that. But I think it was just from your young brain not understanding that you would get there one day. Because mm-hmm. I would – I think you are just as smart as your brother. You just didn't go to law school, so you don't have that. Well, we have very different ways of being smart. And I realized that as I grew up, like, he's just very – he's very analytical and – yeah, he's he's very book smart too. He didn't do well in he's one of those kids that's like super super bright, but like didn't do well in school cuz he had whatever issues. Um whereas I did really well in school, but I didn't you know like SAT scores. Like I, my SAT scores were not the same as his and that was never put on me, but I just knew what it was. Um so yeah, but now I realize, whoa, I have these other strengths of intelligence of different sorts yeah. than he does. Yep. Ugh, that's fascinating. Okay. So I sent this to you back, I think, in July. But uh-huh. um, And I remember you being like, I don't know. But now that you've done a little bit more research, okay. maybe one of these will relate. So this was the uh, type 2 origin story. Very Batman-esque. Uh-huh. Okay. So it's once upon a time, there was a very young child. As a child, little 2 likely had the experience of – and there's three different options – which could be multiple or Mm -hmm. you tell me if you relate. Okay. One, childhood needs not being met, basic or emotional. See, when I read that, yeah, it's hard to think about. But I, it could have been the fact that I was kind of a latchkey kid. Mm. Because both my parents worked full time and especially once we moved to Florida and then they separated and divorced – I mean, by third grade, I was getting off the bus and, like, had my own key to the apartment. Yeah. So that could have been. Two, receiving attention only if they were helping or pleasing others. I don't know. I feel like we did family stuff. Like, I don't think that I only got attention for being helpful. Okay. Little two's role in the family system was one of being forgotten or being the caregiver? Not forgotten. The caregiver, I, the only way I could see that coming in in like young childhood was the fact that I was like the easygoing, want to please kid. So like even I remember sitting around when we still all lived together, sitting around the dinner table and I knew that my parents loved getting like karate chop on their back. I, was, I remember being excited to like go karate chop their back and yeah. make them happy in that way, like take care of them. And other kids, I I mean, I have very young memories of taking care of my friends, like even at the preschool level. I was like the mommy. So I feel like with the Enneagram, they often base these things off of a 
bad childhood. Like, Mm -hmm. these are the bad things that could have happened to your childhood. But you seem to have, like, a really healthy childhood. Yeah, which is why it was hard to figure out what it was that, like, caused this. Because it wasn't Mm -hmm. bad, per se. Well, um, so what my thought was is – this is worded, receiving attention only if they were helping or pleasing to others. Mm -hmm. So maybe it wasn't that you received attention only if, but that it's you – received extra attention mm-hmm. for helping or pleasing others. Like you were told you're easy. Yeah. You're just and in my mind that wire. Pleasing. Yeah. So it's not that you were like mistreated in any way, but it's that you were told you were easy and that made people happy and you thought, oh, I please others when I mm-hmm. am easy, when I give what they want. And yeah. that's – hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Okay. So here's some – coping mechanisms tell me if these relate do you process shame of having acknowledged your own needs um like when you give to yourself versus emmeline or jed do you feel shame yes yes (laughs) okay sorry i don't mean to laugh at you (laughs) no because the only like so it's funny this is and i was thinking about this even just the other night when i was doing dinner like this has happened to me so much and I thought that it was like me being a bad person and it's like the silliest little thing that it's the only example I can think of. I'm prepping dinner, even when it was just Gabe and I, I'm prepping dinner and like there's like the really good piece of whatever it is or like the last strawberry or whatever and I'm like, I really want this but I shouldn't so I should give it to them because I love them. But then sometimes I would take it and then I felt really bad. (laughs) And I think that's it showing up intense yeah oh my gosh i usually see that last strawberry i look over my shoulder and make sure they're not looking and shove it in my mouth <laughs> well exactly no regrets. no but i feel immense shame and guilt although but then when i've done it recently i'm like you know what i think that's that showing up and they probably don't give a shit. no they definitely don't <laughs> they definitely don't uh-huh um okay so one of the other things that i found in my research is that – Ooh, um, I love your clipboard. It's so official. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I didn't realize you could see it. <laughs> oh, so you're – like I think one thing that twos tend to do is – so you have this impulse to serve that is like second nature to you. So it doesn't make sense when other people don't feel the same way. Do yes. you feel like that? So that is like the like mid to unhealthy two, I think. Mm-hmm. And it can definitely still pop up, but I'm so much more conscious of it that I push it aside. I mean, it still comes up, and then I'm like, no, like. So how have you overcome that? Just by being knowledgeable about it, I think, and realizing, mm-hmm. like, just like I talked about in our, our gifting episode, I, you don't have to get back what you give. The point mm-hmm. of giving is just to give, and that the reward in itself is the giving. As long as you want to be doing it. If you don't want to be doing it, don't do it because then you're super going to feel like you deserve something back. But it was – I definitely had that thought in my head of like, ooh, you know, like you go to this person's birthday party, they – like and give them a gift. They need to come to yours and give you a gift, like that kind of thing. Or not necessarily that I kept a tab of like things I've done to like deserve it back and not that I – 
But I, like, kind of expected it. I was like, oh, like, you know, I do good things for this person. They're probably going to do good things for me. And then I would get a little bit resentful when they didn't. Not that I necessarily expected it, but when it didn't happen, I felt resentful. And that didn't feel good. But I didn't know what, I mean, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know why. So I just would feel that way and eventually, like, push it to the side. But once I learned more about it, and especially learning about the Enneagram and understanding that about myself and that not everyone feels that way, too, I was like, oh. And I don't know, just kind of, like, self-development into learning that giving is you give for the sake of giving. Mm-hmm. I think that's just how I overcame it is self-improvement. I feel like it's also – Important. I mean, I don't. I'm not a two, so I can't speak from this. But I know that I've. I have had that feeling before of why isn't this person doing? I'm mm-hmm. giving so much. Why aren't they reciprocating? Mm-hmm. And for me, like for my own understanding of others and through the enneagram and such, like enneagram or not, just knowing people, mm-hmm. um, I've realized that it's just not in everyone's nature mm-hmm. to be a giving heart. It doesn't mean that they're trying to be selfish. It doesn't yeah. mean that they hate you. It doesn't mean that they're bad or anything. Right. Yeah. It's just that that's not in their nature. It's almost like something has to be taught to them. Mm-hmm. For for example, Jay, my husband, does not – he's not a physically affectionate guy. He doesn't like to hold my hand. He doesn't come over and just rub my back. But he knows I like it, so it's something he has to work on constantly. I know if he's holding my hand, he put a lot of thought Mm -hmm. into that. Whereas to me, it comes natural. Like, I'm just going to reach over and hold his hand. And I think it's the same with the giving spirit of – and it's not just about being somebody who wants to give. I think at our core, most people who are kind people want to give. Mm -hmm. But it's just that it doesn't come natural that people can – empathize and understand someone else's needs. Mm -hmm. That's the part that doesn't come natural. It's not that they don't want to give to you. It's that they don't see, oh, hey, this girl needs my help to come in and, like, pick up the crying baby because she's dealing with another kid or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's my – that's what I need help with. I don't know what everybody else needs help with. (laughs) But people – it's about – there is a – we all have different skills and different things that we're just kind of blessed with. And intuition of others' needs is something that you were very clearly blessed with, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a huge part of your two nature. Yeah. So maybe it has nothing to do with your childhood and everything to do with your intuition. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, that is part of it too. And I know it's part of the two, but also part of like – you have to be able to ask for what you need because not everybody has that intuition. And as a two, that's especially hard because one, sometimes we I don't even know what it is that I actually need. And because I'm so in tune to other people and what they need and want and I'm so good at giving that, it's like, well, why can't they do that for me? Why can't they just know what I need and want and like do it? It's yeah. easy for me. <laughs> right. So that's. And then when that happens, it's like the, well, obviously they don't care about me enough or they don't love me enough. Like that's like the inside thought, not like the actual realization, Mm -hmm. but that's the inside thought of or feeling of, well, they just don't care enough then. Like I care so much about them and they don't care as much, so they can't figure it out or like they haven't put the thought into it like I would. And Mm -hmm. I think that's especially like the 
I'm sure other people have it too, but like that's a very two feeling. Yeah. Another thing that I learned about you too is, is that you are often so, so very aware of others' needs, but you're detached from your own needs. Mm-hmm. So how – can you explain like how does it make sense for us to understand your needs if you don't understand your needs? Well, that's kind of like what I was just saying just before this is the – it comes second nature to me to understand what you want when sometimes – like I could easily do something for someone. Like even – like I don't know if it was we were recording or not, but you said, did you upload the YouTube video last week? Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, like I knew that that's what was needed, so I did it. And you're like, oh, I didn't even know that I needed that, you know, or to ask that. So it's like, if I can do that, how can other people not do it for me, you know? Like, I I can fill some needs of other people without them realizing that was something that they were needing or wanting, but they love it. So it comes second nature to me to do that. So why do I need to, to tell you, especially if I don't even know it, but sometimes you don't know it and I can fill it. Well, okay, so I think in that situation, I knew I needed it. I just forgot to ask. And, I I mean, I guess there are situations. Well, that was just me trying to think of, like, an easy example. But I I still feel like I am – if you ask me what I need, I can tell you. I can list the things I need. So – and if – and for me, I find it is helpful – to be able to tell like Jay, hey, these are the things I need and I'm mm-hmm. not getting this from you. So then he's able to fill it. So for you, how can somebody fill your needs if you can't communicate them to me? I – and I don't know if this is just more recently. It's probably more recent just from like doing the work. But I know what I need usually, I think. Mm-hmm. Um. Or if I sit down and think about it enough, I know what I need. I can explain to Jed what I need. Like when like okay. something comes up, like I can be like, yo, I'm just letting you know, like this is not being met. And so this is what it's making me feel. And this is like, I can see this spiraling this way if we don't handle it. But the wanting to please others, if I feel that what I need from somebody is either going to like make them angry or upset mm-hmm. or think differently of me and then not receive as much love, like, I don't know how to express it then. Does that Mm. make sense? Yes. Including with some, like, you and, like, some of my closest friends. Like, that's just, it's how I've been wired for so long, and it's definitely something I'm working on, but it's, it's hard. So I have something that might help. Because I can tell you all the, like, all the live long day how I do it. But at the end of the day, we're very different people. Mm-hmm. So this is – this. I'm very excited about this. I learned something about you as a two that – like what you can tap into to resolve this very problem. Mm-hmm. So this is just – I mean, this is my deductive reasoning. This isn't something that somebody said, but I just kind of put the pieces together. So what I learned – you know, we always talk about like, okay, so in stress, you become an eight. An eight. Mm-hmm. Which the is, unhealthy parts of an eight. eight. Um, the eight, so the unhealthy parts of an eight is they get domineering, aggressive, 
um, want to take control of everything, but they can also, in their unhealthy state, because eights in their unhealthiness <laughs> goes towards um, a five who retreats. I just heard this today, and I was like, oh, well, that totally makes sense, too, because we either get domineering, controlling, and want to control the situation, and or we retreat, just like the unhealthy eight who goes to a five. Mm-hmm. And then in in rest, you become a four, which is creative. Mm-hmm. Get more creative, and- accept like completely self-accepting because, you know, like enjoying the unique qualities of myself, wanting to be who I am and like, yeah. So what I deducted today based on the wording of – so a lot of what I'm getting, um, even the, the young two, I think – oh, no, that wasn't from uh, – Enneagram and coffee. I think that was from just my Enneatype. I will put these in the mm-hmm. show notes. Um, some of the things, some of the Enneagram places we follow that we really enjoy. Um, one is on Instagram, just my Enneatype, and the other one is Enneagram and coffee. And I was listening to her podcast on the two, mm-hmm. and she was talking about how twos can tap in to their inner eight. And the way she worded it, I realized – so you you even just said like, oh, I become the unhealthy parts of an eight. Mm-hmm. But that's not actually it. It's in stress, you turn to an eight. So it means when something is not great in life, you start to act like an eight. But that doesn't mean that you only act like the bad parts of an eight. You mm-hmm. also have the power of mm. the strong parts of an eight. So – Whenever you are feeling stressed out from being unloved, you need to tap in to the high level of the eight, which includes developing personal power, caring less about the reactions of others, and expressing yourself confidently, directly, and often. So when you become the very like strong-headed eight because life is stressful, you can try to tap into their strengths versus their weaknesses Mm -hmm. and communicate exactly what you want to get what you actually need. Yes. And that is way easier said than done. Well, yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, But but then you can also – there's also a way to tap into the four – which um, in this situation, which is to enhance your self-exploration, which is something you talked about. Um, just learning more about yourself, I think, mm-hmm. really helps Yes, to know that, A, not everybody thinks like you. So just because they're not giving back doesn't mean they don't love you. And B, learning the ways to communicate what you need by learning mm-hmm. more about yourself and what you actually need. I can say that – so in times in my life where I've – kind of been forced to be by myself, which is mm-hmm. n- not ever something that came natural to me because I wanted to be around people because then I feel loved because I'm around people and then I feel mm-hmm. better or whole or whatever. So, you know, I was married to Maureen and I went through two – we went through four deployments together, but two of them I lived in Jacksonville, North Carolina by myself. We didn't have kids yet. I didn't have a whole lot of friends in that area and – So I spent a lot of time by myself. And the second deployment is when I got much healthier myself, especially because our marriage was not very healthy right before he left. But I was like, okay, I realized 
digging deep into myself and like learning to enjoy being alone and learning what I enjoy to do majorly got me to a much healthier place, mm-hmm. which got, which was me probably tapping into my four, which got yeah. our marriage to a healthier place when he got home because I was in such a healthy place myself. And then even, you know, once we divorced and Emmy would have to go with him or not have to, but Emmy would go with him for, you know, whatever times we agreed upon. And I was alone again, which mm-hmm. sucked. <laughs> it took me a few times. Then I, re- I was like, okay, like this is your life. You have to accept it. You have to figure out how to be happy in this. So again, I just got back into my, this is my me time. This is my time where I get to like crochet or podcast once that started or other things that, even if I don't hang out with other people at that time, it's okay. And like figuring myself out and I got to a much better place again. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of, and I mean, I had a major fear growing up of being alone one day. So like a divorce was terrifying because all of a sudden that was coming true. (laughs) Yeah. Like I really, I, you know, especially growing up like into like middle school and high school. And I was kind of a shyer person, which came off as, I've been told it came off more as too mature. And so people didn't know what to do with me. But like, I didn't date through high school. I thought it was because I was shy and not wanted. I think a lot of it was I gave off this air of maturity. People people even told me like, in like the later years of high school, like, I just thought you were dating older guys somewhere else. Like you had nothing to do with high school people. Um, That's funny. And I think I also missed some signs from some people that tried because I thought it wasn't a thing for me. Like I wasn't wanted or desired. Hmm. But like so I often really thought that I was going to be alone one day. And I was terrified of that because that's terrifying for someone who just wants to be loved and wanted and known. So yeah, that – when I've – been a little confused sometimes. I'm like, oh, well, like maybe I could be a different number. Like maybe I, I'm not really a two because so there's quite a few other types that could get confused as a two and especially many women I've heard in the past week on different things that I've read and listened to. Mm-hmm. So many women identify with the two because they are the giver, caretaker, helper. And that's like the gender role of women that is like given to us. Mm-hmm. But then when I like learn that and hear that and think about like my like growing up even as a teenager and think feeling those things I'm like I don't like of course teenagers think that stuff I'm guessing like maybe everybody does but like I was so deep in it I'm like yes I'm full on a too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't I never feared that as a teenager. Oh, well, then so. yeah. Maybe yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't um I mean like maybe I feared not getting a boyfriend, but yeah. I didn't fear not being loved. So I do think that is deeper in you. Yeah. But then once, like once I did that work, like the deployment and then after the divorce, doing that work on loving myself, I guess, like getting to know myself and loving myself and being happy when I am alone as well Mm -hmm. really helped me to get over the fear of being unloved. Because if I always, like I always have myself, and if I can be happy with that, then I can be happy in any situation. Yeah. Hmm. So 
again, like how you were saying how you felt like this as a teenager, the desire to be loved. And in the same way that it's intrinsic that you know the needs of others and how to meet them, I think that there's also these burdens that are inside of you that just kind of come up naturally that I think we like we all have them. They just all look different. Mm -hmm. Um, So like some – Harry wrote these down too. Some of the burdens of the two Mm -hmm. I feel like you will relate to. But before I even say them, I want you to know that they are not true. <laughs> like, they're the burden in your heart, but it's not true. So one is that others depend on you for help, which can be met with, like, that is the lie that can be met with the truth that others can fend for themselves. Help is nice, but not necessary. Mm-hmm. Two is that you are needed, but do not need. So that is a lie that can be met with your needs are just as valuable as every other person in your house. So even in your kids, like, yes, technically right now in your stage of life, Emily does depend on you. You are the mother. (laughs) You have to take care of her. However, that doesn't mean that her needs are more important than yours. It doesn't ever mean that anyone's needs take precedence over yours. Yours are mm-hmm. equally as valuable because if your needs aren't met, then you're not strong enough to give what others need, which we've, we've talked about a lot. Yeah. And then the last one is that you are only as lovable as you are giving, which is a lie <laughs> that can be met with you're freaking totally lovable and your gifts are appreciated but not necessary. In any way, shape, or form. I think for as a non-to, receiving your gifts are like it's – a, it's a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. It's a delightful thing that cheers my day, but it's not necessary for me to function. What's necessary mm-hmm. for me to function is knowing that I have your friendship, knowing that our friendship is strong, mm-hmm. your honesty, your vulnerability, and your authenticity, yeah. not anything that you could ever possibly do for me. So – that's from the outside looking in, but well, one of is I forget what word they use for it. I think sometimes they use the word sin, but like there's like the sins of each mm-hmm. type, yeah. And the two is pride, which mm. and it can be like the, I think it was on the podcast typology. He was, or they were saying like it can be the worst one, quote unquote. Hmm. For the fact that one pride is a good thing. Like we look at pride, like the word pride, yeah. and we're like. It's good to have pride in yourself. It's good to, you know, like that's something that's celebrated. But what we take pride in can be very, very tricky because we take Mm -hmm. pride in the fact that we believe we know what others need more than anyone else. Like we think that we know Mm -hmm. what's best. And so that's why we like fulfill those needs and give them, just like you were saying, the burden of your gifts are nice, but they're not needed. And it's like to a two, we're like... But yes, they are. Like, I know what's best. <laughs> um, so it's, a, it's very tricky when that's what you've been doing your whole life. And you're like, but – and that's why you – but like, that's why you love me, isn't it? Like, because I do these things. But it's, it's not true that that's the main reason or the only reason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But like I said, the, the figuring out – I mean, I think that this is good advice for anybody. Figuring out how to – Love yourself 
and be happy completely within yourself. Nothing else needs to complete you but you mm-hmm. is the key to always feeling loved. Mm. Like I, I even say to Emmeline, especially because I realized this luckily before she was born and I was – when she, when I was pregnant with her even, like so many people in my family or even on both sides were so excited about her and like they were kind of in like iffy spots in themselves. So like they were so excited for her to bring them joy. And I remember being pregnant and being like, oh my gosh, like that is such a huge burden on this baby. Like yeah. that can't be. <laughs> so as she grew up and especially recently, like I always let her know, listen, I am happy or not happy because of me. But you, I will be happy and you add to my happiness. But that has nothing to do with whether I am happy or not. Mm-hmm. So I try to let her know, like, listen, you have zero responsibility for my happiness or anybody else's happiness. Just your own. Because yeah. I feel like if we could all hear that more and figure that out younger, like, that is a huge – any relationship issue that a friend talks to me about, it always – comes down to each other or at least one of the people blaming the other for their unhappiness mm-hmm. because they have whatever issue is going on or has been going on for who knows how long. Um, and when we, when we find it within ourselves, and especially when two people can find it within themselves and not depend on the other person for it, that creates a happy relationship of any sort. That's right. He loves me. He does. You're loved. If you ever feel unloved, just call Gray. He'll remind you how loved you are. Yes. The biggest takeaways that I got were that you just need to be open to receiving love and communicate your needs. Yes. So tell me what you need. Okay. Oh, well, like our our feeling as twos, especially our feelings can get hurt very easily. So, like, if someone mm-hmm. like is like, well, it's easy for me to tell other people what I need. Like, why can't you do it or something like that? It's like, it's so hard. And when you're telling me that I don't know how to do something that you want me to do, then it, like, oh. the feelings get hurt too. And, like, that's how we can do the retreating. And, like, okay, well, then I don't even know, like, why did it even bother? Or, you know, something like that. Like, I, d- I thought I was doing my best. I thought I was helping. I thought I was doing it right. And now I'm being told – no, you're still doing it wrong. Okay, well then, I don't, I don't know, and it doesn't compute, and I retreat. So. But so, are you? You're. It's a lot. I know. No, I'm just trying to make sure that I make that um, I'm following. Are you saying that by me telling you to communicate what you need, you feel like you're failing by not knowing how to communicate? Yes. I, yeah. Is that... Okay. Okay, I'm following. So in the the things that I was listening to, it was talking about um, what you kind of have the potential to become when you're healthy. Mm-hmm. So in case like – in case anyone needs some encouragement for like – if you're feeling defeated and you're like, what the heck? I think maybe, maybe this will encourage where – like the possibilities. So healthy twos can be very philanthrop- philanthropic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes overly philanthropic, so you don't want to, like, be giving and giving and giving out of – like, a wing one can give because they have to make it right because they yeah. want justice. I, yeah, so that's, you don't want to that's not me. I don't think that's no. my 
the wing three, like a very healthy two wing three becomes like the like they give great advice. They become well respected for their leadership qualities. They're very organized. I think you're a wing three. Oh, I know I am. <laughs> But they say you can tap into both. Like, Yeah, I mean, I really think, because I can see how a one can come, like one qualities can come to me too. Like I, I want things to be correct and true and mm-hmm. I do not want to be viewed as, you know, incorrect or bad. Like that's a huge yeah. flaw and wonderful thing about me <laughs> is that yeah. I, I mean, I will not, I will not stand behind something or fight for something trying to say like some whatever the truth is, if I don't know for a fact that it's true. Right. I'll just keep my mouth shut then. But that comes back to, I mean, that's a little bit of like the one in me, but that comes back to the, because if I'm wrong, then I'm dumb, and then people won't love me. (laughs) Well, I think there's a lot of dumb people out there that are really loved. This is true, (laughs) unfortunately, sometimes. You can get rid of that thought. That's terrible. (laughs) Well, I'm not saying that I believe in it, but I can see how that thought process has has happened in me many times. Yeah. Or how that that's became part of my personality. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we did it again. We did. Do you feel? I think we did. All right. Well, in that case, um, thanks for joining us. Thank you for coming to us when you felt unloved. I hope that we were able to give you some sort of encouragement to communicate your needs and to know that no matter what anybody says or thinks about you, that really doesn't define you. You define you. So Mm -hmm. love yourself and open yourself up and then all the other love will come pouring in. Mm -hmm. You got to be vulnerable. That's hard. That is the hardest part. It is freaking hard. It's hard work, but it is so worth it. Well, I already mentioned it, but go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. I know you were so hanging on to every word, so you didn't get to that subscribe button yet. But let's bring it back. Go on, find that subscribe button, give us a rating, send us a review. Um, And now that you've listened to the whole episode, you can share it and share your thoughts on it. You, If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I don't know what it's called. But either way, there's a little share function. You can click it. Click share to Instagram. You can send it via text message, however you want to share. Um, And if you do share it on Instagram, tag us at inrawlife.co. So we see you sharing us and we'll share you sharing us. And it's a great, uh, it's just, it's like a big hug. All the love. Give us that little send of love and we would greatly appreciate it. If you would love to be a part of our podcast and get some love back in that way, you can send us a voice recording of yourself telling us what you believe it means to be strong. All of us have different opinions. We want to hear yours. So you can send a recording saying being strong means or strength to me means, and you can email that to podcast at inrawlife.com. Until next week, I hope that you take the Enneagram test and get to know yourself a little better. Figure it out. Do some research. You are the most important person in your life. It's true. And getting to know yourself and understanding yourself might be the best thing you've ever done for yourself and for others. If you're feeling 
lonely or out of whack this Valentine's season, try to make some sort of tradition for yourself that is showing yourself love and whoever might be in your proximity on Valentine's Day, love as well. Because when you create that tradition, whether you're with someone or not, it kind of helps you to always rely on that and be happy and loving and in love with yourself on Valentine's Day. We hope that you have a happy Valentine's Day. Bye. Remember when I used to get nervous to start and I'd be like, okay, I got to try again. Oh shoot, wait one. I just hid a maraca in my underwear drawer, so hopefully we're good. Okay. I don't know. I feel like I should do it. Okay, good. You you didn't have any facial expressions, so I didn't know what to think. Okay. Gray agrees. Gray agrees. Hell yeah. That's what it sounded like. Take five. Error six. Move Roomba to a new location. We covered, dang, we're getting good at this.